Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Dr. Forrest continues with part five of his teaching on the book of Ephesians. We're going to get the book of Ephesians part five this morning. I'm going to get you as much as I can before I see eyelids rolling up in the top of your head. Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. By way of introduction, we have covered the first three chapters of Ephesians. We've already covered chapter one through three. And if you remember, chapter one through three basically emphasizes positional truths, who you are in Christ, what your authority is, what belongs to you as a member of the body of Christ. And then we're going to find as we start this morning that chapter four through six, uh, take those positional truths and show us how to apply them to our everyday life, our gifts and our callings. Amen. Hallelujah. So you could say it like this. The first half of the book uh, of Ephesians gives us spiritual knowledge. But the second half of the book teaches us how to apply that spiritual knowledge. Remember, proper application of knowledge is the definition of wisdom. So we're going to begin with the first 16 verses of chapter 4 this morning. I'm going to go warp 9. I read somewhere in my Star Trek almanac that warp 9 was 3,000 times the speed of light. So that's pretty fast. Speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. So imagine what 3,000 times that is. So we're going warp 9 this morning. Amen. A lot of the things we're going to talk about this morning are found in my study that is in the podcast library on the gift of God in you. Okay, so there's some things we're going to gloss over and maybe not cover as as completely as I I would if I hadn't already covered it in a previous series. And we go into real detail about your gift and your calling. Amen. Hallelujah. So verse one, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Now, that's the second time he's referred to himself in the book of Ephesians as the prisoner of the Lord. The first time he says, I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Basically, what he's saying is, I'm here because I'm preaching the gospel. Amen. But don't worry about me because I'm going to give you what you need to walk in victory during this age. Hallelujah. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Basically, whatever you do in life, Whatever your vocation is, be the best that you can be at that vocation. Amen. If you're a plumber, be the best plumber you can be. If you're a ditch digger, be the best ditch digger you can be. If you're a doctor, please be the best doctor you can be. (laughs) You know, my beef with doctors is that, you know, sometimes they are practicing medicine. I'd rather them get it right than practice medicine. Amen. If you're, a, if you're a lawyer, be the best lawyer you, you can be. If you're an engineer, be the best engineer you can be. You get the picture. Our walk in the Lord encompasses our daily walk with Him. And this involves our walk in the Word of God, our walk in the Spirit, our walk of faith, but also our calling, our ministry office, or our ministry gift. Amen? Now, I believe this verse can apply to your vocation or your profession But the emphasis is on your ministry calling or the gift that the Lord has placed on your life. After all, 
Your vocation should be a vehicle that you use to reach as many people for the gospel as possible, no matter what it is. Although it may meet your immediate physical needs, usually in the form of a paycheck, that's not its primary purpose. Listen to me now. If you have followed the leading of the Lord in your life, then he has placed you into a particular vocation to help you function more efficiently in your ministry gift. Now, if you're called to full-time ministry, that's a different thing altogether. Your calling is to help others do the work of the ministry in and through their vocation. Everybody with me? So Paul makes it clear that no matter what it is we are called to do, we should do it in a worthy fashion or in a way that glorifies the Lord and produces much fruit. Amen. Verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Now, to be meek does not mean you are weak and defenseless, but it means that you have a teachable spirit. Remember, Jesus, although he said, I'm meek and lowly, got righteously indignant and made a whip on two occasions at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry, and he went and he forcibly drove out the money changers from the temple. So he was a meek man, but that doesn't mean he was weak and defenseless and his ire was not raised from time to time. Amen. I think about Moses. Numbers 12, verse 3 says, Moses at the time was the meekest man that ever lived. And yet he went and stood before Pharaoh, the most powerful leader in the known world, and he said, God sent me to tell you to let my people go. So just because you're meek and lowly doesn't mean you can't get bowed up from time to time, as we used to say in Louisiana. Hallelujah. To be lowly is to be humble. Remember, Paul, although he was given a revelation that no man had ever been given, he knew without God, he was nothing. That's true humility. To be long-suffering and forbearing is to have a patient and forgiving heart. Amen. Good segue into verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. A true believer will always walk in love with his fellow believers to preserve spiritual unity and peace in the body of Christ. In fact, there's one scripture in Proverbs chapter 6 that I'm mindful of in which the Lord said, there's seven things that I hate. And the last one is, he that soweth discord among the brethren. Okay? So beware if you're doing that. You don't need to be doing that and you are definitely not pleasing the Lord. Always sow love and unity with your fellow believers. Even with those that are not believers, the Bible says, as much as lieth with you, live peaceably with all men. In other words, do what you can to live peaceably with all men, even though some people are so ornery, it's not possible. But do your best, the Bible says. Amen? How many know people like that? Am I the only one? They push all the wrong buttons with you, you know? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Verse 4, there is one body 
and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. Let me break this down real quick. The phrase one body refers to the body of Christ, which is mentioned several times in the Bible, but prominently in 1 Corinthians, which we'll get to in just a second here. The phrase one spirit refers to the fact that when you got born again, you were baptized into the worldwide body of Christ and you became connected to every other believer in the world. Okay. That's the baptism that's being spoken of uh, here in just a minute. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, which is the next verse. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. See, I'm getting ahead of myself. It says, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So that whole concept of one spirit, one body is found here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Amen? All right. The phrase, hope of your calling, which is found in verse 4, is referring to the hope that we all share that one day we're going to trade this body in for a new one. I'm telling you, you read through the epistles of Paul and you find this hope sprinkled all over the place. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're begotten again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, anytime you come across a phrase like that, that has hope or glory in it, usually it's referring to your future body, which the Bible says is stored for you up in heaven. Now, I don't understand the mechanics of that because you got bones in the grave and you got a new body in heaven. I think probably your spirit pulls that new body with him and reunites with your dead body and takes those bones and they get absorbed in the new man somehow. Glorified, rectified, resurrected, restored. Hallelujah. You know, I may have gotten the mechanics wrong, but I'm telling you, there is a new body waiting for you in the showroom of heaven. And one day we're going to put it on. And since I just watched Avengers for my birthday... We're all going to be superheroes for Jesus Christ in immortal, indestructible bodies, ruling and reigning benevolently over natural human beings in the millennial era and beyond. I'm telling you, there's a lot of truth to these superhero movies. They're onto something. And there's some Christians so high-minded, that's just the... That's just the imagination of the world. No, they're tapping into some truth. Same with sci-fi. I remember when I got born again filled with the Spirit, I got criticized because I was so into sci-fi. Well, that's the world's wisdom, Scott. That's the world's vision of the future. I beg to differ. They may get a lot wrong, but they get some things right. We are going to the stars. Take it to the bank. Brother Scott said it. And one day you'll say, you know, Brother Scott said we were going to do this. Glory to God. How did I get off on that? (laughs) Hallelujah. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, I feel the need to arm you with something. There are people who are against the baptism of the Holy Spirit that use this scripture to say there's only one baptism. The baptism of water when you profess your faith in Christ as Lord, you know. And, and they use this scripture to sort of try and invalidate the baptism of the Holy Ghost. 
Well, bless their darling hearts and their stupid heads, as Brother Hagin used to say. I'm sorry, I'm just quoting the man. Let me refute that because it can be easily refuted. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Notice that one of the fundamental basic doctrines that Paul says, or the writer of the Hebrews, I believe it was Paul. Scholars dispute that. I believe it was Paul. But whoever wrote Hebrews said one of the fundamentals of the faith was the doctrine of baptisms. That's plural. That means if you look hard enough in the scripture, you will find several different kinds of baptisms. Amen. What are some of the ones we can come up with? Well, there's the baptism of John mentioned in the New Testament. Water baptism in Jesus' name also mentioned. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism of fire. And finally, what we just mentioned earlier, baptism into the body of Christ, which is the one being referred to here in the book of Ephesians. Amen. Glory to God. One Lord refers to the fact that there's only one Lord and one Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. He earned the title King of Kings and the Lord of Lords through conquest by his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Amen. One faith refers to the measure of faith that all of us were given that gave us the ability to believe that Jesus was Lord. You know, John says there in John chapter 1, the light of Jesus was the same light that shined in the hearts of all men. In other words, there's a light on the inside of you. You know, I believe Paul calls it the measure of faith that's in there, that if you will pay heed to it and activate that inner knowledge that there is a God and express faith in Jesus Christ, you can be born again. And we talked about this, I think it was last week or the week before, how that even the faith to believe that Jesus is Lord is a gift. You didn't even come up with that by yourself. You were just saying, here's a little bit of faith. Now use it to believe that Jesus is Lord. Now, another thing I want to touch on, because I know I got a lot of mature saints in here who are going to know what I'm talking about here. Uh, there's a couple of different ways to talk about faith. Faith can grow through the knowledge of and the application of God's word. Romans 4.17 says that you can actually call those things that be not as though they were because you're using the same faith that God uses when he raises the dead. Amen. But there's different opinions about how faith grows. Okay. And I'll just tell you the two camps. One camp says that you've been given a seed of faith and you need to meditate the word, speak the word, act on the word to get that seed of faith to grow. Another camp says, Galatians 2.20 says, The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, So there are others that teach that, that you have the faith of Jesus Christ on the inside of you. And to activate and grow in that faith, you have to meditate the word, you have to speak the word, you have to act on the word. You see where I'm going with this? It doesn't matter which camp you're in, 
the steps to grow in faith are the same. So it's really not worth arguing about. And, and you ask me, Brother Scott, which camp are you in? I vacillate like this. Okay? So all I know is I'm going to study the Word, I'm going to meditate the Word, I'm going to speak the Word, and I'm going to exercise corresponding actions of faith in the Word, and faith will grow, and I'll leave the mechanics up to Him. Amen? How that happens. Did I confuse anybody? How many are aware of the two different camps on faith? Raise your hand if you even have contemplated that. All right. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. All right. Again, the one baptism in this verse in verse 5, one, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, is talking about the baptism uh, when you get born again that puts you into the worldwide body of Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. Verse 6. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. We serve one God who exists in the form of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Amen? Now, I got a whole teaching on the Trinity, but I'm sensing that this morning is not the time for that. Amen? Hallelujah. Suffice it to say that you were made in the image of God. Genesis 1.26 said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Who was he talking to? Well, some people say he was talking to the angels. Well, no, he wasn't. The angels aren't made in the image of God. He was having a conference call of the Trinity. It was the Father and the Word and the Holy Ghost convening together and saying, let us make man in our image. Okay, You are spirit, soul, and body. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says that about you. So you are three parts, and yet you are one. You know, and I, I use this same joke all the time. When Beverly came in this morning, we didn't say, here comes Beverly, and her spirit is not far behind. That's because Beverly is together, spirit, soul, and body, in, in oneness, okay? <laughs> no, the spirit should be taking the lead, dragging the rest of you to church, amen? Yeah. Yeah, that reminds me. Somebody told me it was a contractor that was talking to me one day, and he said, you know, um, I grew up on drugs. I'm like, really? He said, yeah. My grandmother and my mother drugged me to church every Sunday of my life. I'm like, that's a good kind of drug. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. Verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Glory to God. This verse introduces us to the concept that every believer, every believer has been given a gift. Every believer has been given a gift. Now, I teach this all the time and always have people who say, well, I don't know what my gift is. You know, they think it's some kind of heavenly game show. You've got a gift. Guess what it is? No, God gave you the gift. He wants you to know what the gift is. So all you have to do is seek him with all of your heart. He'll show you what your gift is. Amen. Hallelujah. The thing I want you to see here is you're not only given a gift or gifts. The Bible says 
unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. If you've got a big gift that's going to take you big places and put you before big people, you got big grace that goes along with that gift. Amen? That's not to belittle other people's gifts. It's just whatever gift you have, God has given you the grace to operate in that gift. How unfair would it be if the Lord said, I've given you a gift. Now just do the best you can. You know, that's not the God I know. I've given you a gift and I've empowered you in every way possible to operate in that gift. I've given you the grace of God for that. Amen. Hallelujah. That's the God that I know. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. All right. So. I'm not going to teach on this, but I'm going to just brush over this. Because we're going to get into the fivefold ministry here in just a minute when we get to verse 11. But. I just want to touch on this. If you've been given a gift and it's not one of the fivefold gifts that we'll talk about here in just a minute, then where can you find information about those gifts where you go to Romans chapter 12 verse 6 through 8 I'm going to read that to you Paul says having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith or ministry let us wait on our ministering or he that teacheth on teaching on he that exhorteth on exhortation He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Amen. These are what I refer to and other teachers refer to as body gifts. Gifts that are intended to be utilized inside the local body of Christ in the local church. Amen. So you can be used in these gifts. And I encourage you to go to my series on the gift of God in you where I talk about these in detail. I promise you, your gift, if you're not called to five-fold ministry, your gift will fit into one of these categories. And if you struggle and you can't find one that you think it fits in, there's always the ministry of helps, which is real easy to define. If it helps the pastor fulfill the vision of the house, it's the ministry of helps. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right, so these gifts, just so that I I don't completely blow over them, are listed out uh, for me here on these notes that I did years ago. Prophecy, ministry, teacher, exhorter, giver, ruler, and mercy, okay? And there's definitions for all of that in the series, The Gift of God in You. Amen. Verse 8. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men. Amen. Now. I love talking about this because it is so unknown to the average Christian that this is what's going on to lead captivity captive. What that's talking about is and there's a lot of in-depth scripture analysis that I'd have to go through, which I'm not going to to show you why I know this, but trust me, this is referring to the fact that Jesus, once he paid the price, once he was raised from the dead, which gave the ability to everyone on the earth to be born again. Remember it says, we have been born again to a lively hope 
by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It took Jesus being raised from the dead to enable men and women to be born again. Okay. Including all of those that lived before Jesus time, all of those that looked to the coming of Christ and put their faith in the coming Christ. When he came, he went down into Abraham's bosom where they were. And he said, the one you were looking for, the one you put your faith in, the one you knew was coming. That's me. I am he. I fulfill the law. And now you can be born again and come with me to heaven. How many know everybody raised their hand? Nobody said no to that. Okay, so Jesus took all of those Old Testament saints and he led them up to heaven. Amen. Hallelujah. What a glorious sight that must have been. Hallelujah. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. So he took all the contents of Abraham's bosom up to heaven. And then he sat on the right hand of God and he loosed the Holy Ghost on planet Earth. And with it, gifts and callings into men and women's lives. Amen. Glory to God. And he just makes sure that, you know, who we're talking about here, verse nine and ten. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. In other words, he's saying, listen, the same one who descended into the heart of the earth that got those captives had to come up and ascend to heaven. Amen. He's the same guy. Hallelujah. Now, there are some people in the denominational camp, especially, who do not think that Jesus ever went into hell. Somehow they think it upsets the theology of the universe that God would allow the spirit of his son to go into hell. But you can't get around scriptures like this. When they came to Jesus and said, show us a sign. He said, only one sign is going to be given this generation, and that's the sign of the prophet Jonah, Matthew 12, verse 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, the center of the earth, the bowels of hell. Now, whether he went there and suffered for three days, or went there and uh, kicked butt and took names and conquered for three days, that's up for debate. But in my mind, there's no debate that he went into hell. Because it later says he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave from the devil. How are you going to do that if you don't go into hell to get them, amen? All right, off my soapbox. I'm sorry, Jesus went into hell. Like I said, whether he went in there and just kicked them around for three days and then said, okay, I'm out of, I've had my fun, I'm out of here, or actually suffered is up for debate and we can agree to disagree, but I think Scripture's pretty clear that he went there. Amen. And oh, by the way, here's my strongest argument for why he had to go there. If he didn't go to hell, then we still have to because it's part of the punishment for sin. Hallelujah. Woo, that sobered everybody up. Hallelujah. Verse 11. 
And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. These are referred to as gifts that were given unto men. Amen. And men, you know, is collectively referring to men and women, mankind. Okay. Got to be proper these days. People are going to pin you to the wall on that kind of stuff. These gifts are what are commonly called the fivefold ministry gifts or the pulpit offices or the pulpit gifts. All right. These gifts were given by the Lord to the body of Christ at large and are not to be confused with the body gifts found in Romans chapter 12. Those are local church body. Okay. All right. Everybody with me there? Amen. So what's the purpose of the fivefold ministry? Well, the purpose of the fivefold ministry is for them to do all the ministry. That's why they call it fivefold ministry. No, verse 12 tells you, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's the purpose of the fivefold ministry. My job as your pastor is not to do all the ministry. My job is to equip you to go out in your circle of influence and you do the ministry. In fact, even, let me get in my soapbox. Even when it comes to helping us with church growth, how could we double this church overnight? Bring one person to church next Sunday. Amen? Somebody in your circle of influence. Just say, hey, listen. Take a walk on the wild side. Come to a spirit-filled church. Amen? You'll like it. You know You know how I got roped into this, this life? I was uh, 17 years old. I was by my locker one day. One of the cheerleaders was a couple of lockers down, and she came up to me and says, Hey, would you come Monday night to Coffee House? Would you come as my guest? I'm like, Baby, I'm coming as your guest. You don't have to ask me twice, you know. And then she said, But I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to promise me that you'll come twice. I said, okay, promise I'll come twice. So maybe that's a good way when you got somebody out there, you think they're going to be a little bit weirded out by a church to just say, look, just promise me you'll come to my church twice. Now, there was great wisdom in this. At the time, this girl was like 15 years old and she was wise enough to ask me to come twice because I was a young Episcopal lad and I didn't know squat about the Holy Ghost. I was like, those believers in Acts chapter 19, we haven't even heard of the Holy Ghost. What are you talking about? So I went the first time. I was completely weirded out. People with afros and, 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 and tie-dyed T-shirts, and, you know, they're playing uh, sitars. No, they didn't have sitars, but they had guitars and, and, and uh, tambourines. I'm, I'm losing it. I can't remember simple instruments here. And they were jumping around and clapping and singing in tongues. And, oh, my God, I wanted to find the nearest exit and get out of there as fast as I could. But, Jack, I just see Ellen's eyes. You told me you'd come twice. Alicia can stay for the first time. So I stayed for the first time, and I left. Honestly, I thought, you know, weird. People are weird, you know. So I went the next Monday night. And this is in the 70s when the Holy Spirit was moving through the denominational churches. There was revival. It was, it was amazing. It was charismatic revival. Of course, growing up in my Episcopal church, the original Frozen Chosen, I had no idea what was going on, you know. 
So, so I came the second time only because Ellen asked me to, and Ellen was cute, and I thought I had a shot with Ellen until the second time I found out she's dating somebody on the football team. So I was dashed, you know. But you know, the second time I came, during praise and worship, even though I was still kind of weirded out, in my heart, I felt a strange attraction. And I said, you know, they may be weird, but they're awful sincere. And there's something that they have that I don't have. And because of that, I got invited to go to a retreat, Grandfather Mountain. Y'all ever been there? That's where I met my Jesus. That's where I got born again. I got born again. I got filled with the Spirit. And trust me, my life has never been the same. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. Praise the Lord. All right. So I'm completely clueless as to how we got there. But we're going to get back on the scripture here. The purpose of the fivefold ministries, verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Why? Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Man, do we have our work cut out for us. Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Amen. My job is to give you good meat, and when you get bad meat, let you know that it's bad meat. Amen? Glory to God. So you won't be deceived. All right. Hallelujah. Let's wrap it up with verse 16. I'm sorry, verse 15 and 16. And it's a continuation. Whereby they lay in wait to receive. But, Speaking the truth in love. You don't want any of that mess. You want to speak the truth in love so that you may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, if you can understand that the first time you read it in the King James, my hat's off to you, okay? But I'm going to break it down for you. <laughs> We're all linked together, and every member of the body of Christ is important. When each member does their part functioning efficiently in their ministry gift, then the whole body benefits. It causes the body to increase or produce more fruit. The whole body is edified as we do these things in love. That's what that verse says. So let me summarize by saying this. The first half of Ephesians chapter 4 deals with the gifts or the ministry offices that have been given to the members of the church. There are 12 total gifts mentioned. Seven body gifts or offices and five pulpit gifts or offices. Amen. The five pulpit gifts commonly referred to as the fivefold ministry gifts, are mentioned in Ephesians 4.11 and are for the edifying of the body of Christ so they can do the work of the ministry. Don't ever forget that. The seven body gifts are listed in Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 8 and are given to the church to be used in the local church body. If you're not called to the fivefold ministry, listen to me, 
your gift will fit, as I said before, into one of these categories. If you are called to the fivefold ministry, you are probably already operating in one or more of these body gifts because that's the way it works. You first learn in the local body and then God launches you out from there. Amen. Glory to God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. I like that. Let me hear that again. Can I get an amen? Amen. Well then, amen. And amen. We hope you enjoyed part five of today's teaching on the book of Ephesians. Come visit our website at gofaithlife.com where you can learn more about us, access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, and find Dr. Forrest's in-depth teaching notes. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington. Wilmington.